Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Listen Saturday. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a wonderful hour today. David Wheaton's going to be joining me in just a minute. And then Mike Novotny's coming on the program after David. But I'm going to talk to David about uh, Genesis, the book of beginnings, and, and how it is so relevant for today. Now, just to set the stage, I would like to uh, read a part of uh, Genesis chapter 1, the first five verses. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. When we come back, we're going to talk about that very passage of Scripture. So let's take 60 seconds and then bring on David Wheaton. If you dream of becoming a published author, take the next step to make your dream a reality. Meet one-on-one with a publisher, literary agent, or published author to get valuable feedback and advice about your writing at the 2020 Northwestern Christian Writers Conference, July 24th and 25th. Tickets are on sale now, and for the month of January, get 20% off the full ticket price. Find out more and register online today at NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. When we come together across the lines that divide us, dreams come true. I have a dream today. As you listen to Faith Radio, we hope you find help to live out your faith in a meaningful, consistent way. And that means moving towards unity, engaging culture at a personal level. So will you join us, letting our light shine, demonstrating God's love, connecting faith to life, Faith Radio. My guest is David Wheaton, my friend and person I just admire a great deal. Go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David and his website, his speaking, his writing. He's gotten two books out, University of Destruction and My Boy Ben. And always a pleasure to have him on the show. David, welcome. Hey, good to be with you today, Bill. Yeah, so let's go back to the very beginning and how it's relevant to today. That's a great topic. Yeah, I think a lot of people can think that Genesis, so it's way back then, and, you know, how is that relevant to 2020 life in America? But you know, I think a lot of a lot of Christians at the beginning of the year try to work their way through the Bible. They want to finally read the Bible through in a year, and I started that this year. It started back in Genesis, and as I was reading the chapters, there's just so much in Genesis that is so relevant uh, for the, the Christian life and for the world. It explains so many things that are going on in the world today. And you read that passage, uh, in the first five verses of the Bible. And the last time I was on, we talked about how the first sentence of Genesis, this first, what is it, the first uh, nine words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That one sentence contains the five elements that of everything that exists. 
time, force, action, space, and matter, which is really incredible. It just shows that the Bible and God are just supernaturally beyond what we could probably ever imagine or think. In the beginning, there's time. God is force created. God created. There's action, heavens and the earth. There's space and matter. So it's just, the, the Bible starts off in a, just a, an incredible way. But what we understand about God, just from that, those first five five verses that you read, is really important because the what you what your perspective, what your understanding of God is, is the most important thing about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, we're created in God's image, and so we're we're created to worship God, and so your your view, your perspective about who God is, is going to drive your worship. And so, in those first five verses, we we find out you know two key things that God exists. The Bible doesn't start out uh, trying to prove the existence existence of God. It's just like it's it's obvious. You just look around, and there's no other explanation for how everything got here, rather than there's a supernatural God above us all who spoke things into existence. He's not a silent God. He speaks. He's revealed Himself to us. So those are two key things in the first five verses. But also that God is pre-existent. He's not like us. We have a beginning. Each of us were born. We were conceived in a certain date and time, and we were born. We have a birth date and a death date. We'll, we'll live forever. Uh, those who put their faith in Christ will live forever in heaven, and those who don't in hell. Uh, so we we live forever, but we haven't pre-existed forever like God did. Uh, and so that's another thing we learned. God is pre-existent to time. He started time, and he's the creator. God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, he's the architect, the designer. He's He's the authority. He created, so he has authority over it. He's a trinity. We see that in the first. The Spirit of God was hovering or moving over the Spirit, of, over the surface of the waters. And this is a God that's so powerful, Bill, that he just simply speaks things into existence. I mean, can you do that? No. <laughs> just, you know, I want <laughs> no. lunch. You know, I mean, you, you can't do that. No. It, it's, this is a, this is a enormous, immense, incomprehensible God, yet he's revealed to us himself in some way and in, into in how we can be right with him. And so this is a good and gracious and incredible God that we find out in those first five verses. Okay, David, so as we start to look at Genesis 1 and the beginnings and how it's relevant to today, maybe we should just uh, kick the tires a little bit. Because, yeah. you know, for some people, how do you explain or how do you let them, uh, how do you educate them on how people live so long in Genesis? They're living hundreds yeah. of years. What is that all about? Yeah. I mean, Methuselah was 969 years, and, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of Adam lived into the 900s. It just seems, you know, incomprehensible for us who our lifespan today is what, you know, maybe if you're doing well into your 80s mm-hmm. or 90s. Yep. Um, it was different back then. You know, before the worldwide flood, that was a literal event that, that the Bible teaches back in Genesis and also Christ affirms, and it was always considered to be a literal worldwide flood. The, the world was covered with water and was totally different landscape and hydrology back then than we have now. And so just on a little tangent, it, it, the, 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 the continents are probably different back then. There's probably just one continent before the flood, perhaps, mm-hmm. but it never rained. It never rained before the flood. It says in Genesis 2, 6, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground, but a mist used to rise, used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. So I, I think you know, it's hard to imagine this because we live in such a different environment now, but I think likely back then there was some sort of water canopy above the earth and there was water in, in reservoirs below the earth. That's what it says when the, when the flood happened, water came down from above and water came up from underneath. So there was likely this water canopy that shielded the earth from, 
the ultraviolet rays from the sun. And that's probably part of the reason why people live longer. But after the flood, that all changed when that water canopy came down and, the, and then the system of hydrology came, you know, evaporation and rain and all that, that, that changed things. And I think also the other reason people lived longer back then, aside from that, that canopy of water was the fact that Adam and Eve were created perfect. They were designed to live forever. They had perfect genes. Mm. And it wasn't until sin came along where there was corruption and there was spiritual and physical death that occurred as a result of that. Well, as a result of that, you know, the genes started to be corrupted as well. The, the purity of the very beginning began to be corrupted, but that lasted for some, some time, those purer genetics at the very beginning of time. And so back then, people lived much longer. And after the flood, by the way, they didn't. They lived in the late you know, 80s, 90s, early 100s after the flood. So something apparently changed drastically after the worldwide flood. Okay. Now, now that we've got, uh, you know, much more scientific mindsets uh, available. Is the debate over? Uh, isn't it over about how the universe came to be settled? Yeah, you know, I always like it when scientists like to say, well, this is a, this is secular scientists. Don't believe in cre God created the heavens and the earth. They'll say, well, this is, this is settled science, you know, as if there's, there's no questioning this. Whenever someone says that, by the way, you, you should question it. <laughs> From a standpoint, someone says something's settled. Right. Um, but really, the, the debate has gone on for as long as, you know, let's say the scientific age about how we all, how did this all get here? Where did we come from? One of the key questions of life, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going after I die? This is the, you know, where did I come from question? And, you know, the Bible is very clear on it. It says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. That just answers the question. Or Hebrews eleven three by faith, and it is by faith because no one was there to observe it, and we can't reproduce it scientifically. Uh, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what was seen was not made out of things which are visible. So even though the debate still rages today and most of mainstream society completely believes the lie, yes, the lie of Big Bang evolution, where they have to believe, you have to believe this if you don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Here's what you have to believe. You have to believe that there was nothing because you keep on going back and well, what, what made that? What made, at some point there was nothing. Okay, so how did nothing become something? That's a scientific impossibility. Nothing became something. You gotta, you gotta believe that by faith. And then you have to believe that something sort of exploded by itself. How does that happen? That's against a scientific possibility. <laughs> and not only exploded by itself, but it, it exploded into an ordered everything. I mean, that's just, I just don't have enough faith to be an atheist, as the, as the book titled by Frank Turek uh, so aptly states. Um, there's no scientific proof of, of that Big Bang evolutionary lie at all. Matter of fact, it contradicts the laws of science. And so that's really the sad part today is that children in school, most of society, people around the world believe in this myth, this lie of Big Bang evolution, that nothing became something and exploded into everything. It contradicts science. The, really the only explanation, Bill, for our incomprehensibly large, ordered, complex, balanced universe is that there must be someone, there must be something supernatural because nothing natural can explain you know, how this all came into being. Yeah, great point, David. All right, let me take a little break. David Wheaton is my guest. Go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David, his writing and his speaking and his amazing podcast. We'll take a break and be right back.
David Wheaton is my guest. Awfully glad to have him on the show. And we're talking about Genesis. And David, I'm in chapter one, of course, where we're talking. And I'm looking at, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about. And then it talks about uh, according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. What does the kind part mean? Yeah. Well, what it, what it disproves is uh, macroevolution, that, uh, Bill, at one time you were a monkey, and before that you were a rabbit, and before that you were a, a tiny amoeba. Um, you know, th- this, this again, Genesis is so relevant to this this debate today of, of Big Bang evolution. There's no evidence for it. There's no fossil evidence of, of that there was a transition between one kind, like from monkey to human. Those are different kinds. And God uses the word kind time after time, in Genesis 1 and 2, that passage you just read, it was three times bearing fruit after their kind, uh, plants yielding seed after their kind, uh, you know, er, er, trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. He says the same thing about animals. It's kind, kind, kind. There's mm-hmm. no cross kind. Yeah. And so th- this refutes the, the notion of macroevolution, again, that we transition from lower life forms and that they cross with each other, which is impossible, and there's no, there's no fossil evidence for it. It's it's just it's as you step back and look at this this huge evolutionary Darwinian lie that's been foisted upon mankind. It's really one of the biggest ones, and, and it's it's so amazing because there's really no evidence for it. It's it's very very scant, and yet it's believed so widely by and by and sadly by so many people around the world today. Only mm-hmm. like kind can generate like offspring. I mean, it just makes sense. We we see this all around us. I mean, uh, a person can't mate with an animal and have an offspring. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that in nature, you know. Uh, so squirrels don't mate with rabbits. So they just they they mate with their like kind and they produce offspring. Yeah, David, a question a question from a listener um, asking you about the gap theory. That's a huge mm-hmm. amount of time between Genesis one one and Genesis one two, and maybe the follow up question, you know, might be what is the difference if one believes in Big Bang evolution or God's creation. Yeah, well, the gap theory is just what you described it as. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then then there was this long gap of time. But I would say that's not necessary to have a gap of time. You know, in, in every every of the six days of creation, there's always a number in front of it, and, and God did this, it was one day. Whenever you see that order of a number and day, that refers to a literal 24-hour day in Scripture. And so, yeah, I, I understand the Bible to teach young earth creationism, that the world, that the earth is is relatively young, thousands of years old, not millions and billions of years old. So I don't think just for the reason that we talked about earlier with God being this immensely powerful, creative God that can speak things into existence, there didn't need to be time. And the fact that uh, secular scientists today view um, the the topography of land and the fossils and layers of sediment well, you know what they leave out, what they forget about when they view it? They assume that things have been decaying and laying down layers over a uniformity over this many thousands of years. But what they don't take into account is the worldwide flood. That that completely, that was a, that was a catastrophe. They believe in uniformity. There's a big difference. If you believe in uniformity, you think that things have have aged at the same rate for millions and millions of years. But you can't take that into account when there was a catastrophic flood that mm-hmm. laid down billions of layers and billions of fossils over about a year's period of time. Mm-hmm. So we don't need we don't need a gap. There's no reason to believe in a gap uh, with with the God of Genesis. 
I appreciate that comment, David. Um, well, let's talk about how significant it is that, that man is made in God's image. Yeah, well, maybe I should answer the second part of your previous question, because I think this goes to answering the question you just asked about what's the difference if one believes in the Big Bang of evolution or God creation, I mean, the, God creating everything. I mean, there's just, there's just, you can't overstate how big of a difference of starting points that is. I mean, how, the, the huge uh, thought or worldview right. ramifications, the huge ramifications, how you're going to live your life. I mean, consider the, the starting points here. One is that you are a random occurrence of evolution. There is no God that you are accountable to that establishes laws for how you're to worship and serve him and so forth. You think you're going to live that way. You're just going to, well, you, then you're the authority. You, you, you do what's right in your own eyes. There's that. Or the other starting point is, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created you, and that there is a God we're accountable to, and he establishes law laws for his glory and our good. I mean, you're going you're gonna to live very, very differently. So there's just a—that that starting point is going to affect everything downrange, mm-hmm. uh, what, what you believe at the beginnings. But the fact that we're made in God, God's image is the same thing. If you don't believe you're made in God's image, you're you're going to behave, again, like you're your own God. But if you do believe you're— you're made in his image, as the Bible says you are, um, you're going to realize that you're a reasoning being like God, that you have been given by God the the understanding of a conscience to know right from wrong morally. Um, th- this really explains being made in God's image, why people are naturally religious all over the world. Wherever you go, people are religious because God has put that about himself, the spiritual aspect of God, inside of us. We 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 may worship the wrong thing, but we're all born worshipers, mm-hmm. and so God's put that worshiping spirit inside of us. And uh, you know, our call is to worship the correct God. Yeah. Now, God created male and female. Now that binary is being quite challenged in today's <laughs> world. Why do you think that is? I, I mean, you can't even make that up if you ask me. Oh, you look I know. At, you look at the the world around us now, and people are challenging the fact that God made man in male and female. I mean, again, this is the, another way of our topic today, the, the, the relevance of the book of beginnings of Genesis to today. I mean, this is in the news constantly about, you know, some female or some male who now identifies as a female running in a, a women's sporting event and beating all the girls. Um, and, and then everyone else around here has to say, well, you know, you, you, you are who you think you are. You know, even if you're born male, if you think you're a female, well, then, then let it be so. It, it's, it's absolutely insanity. It's a complete rejection of what God established there in the very first chapter of the Bible. And I think that's notable is that the, the unregenerate man, we, anyone who's unregenerate, and we were both that at one point, we rebel against God. We, we don't want his authority. What, what he established in these opening chapters of Genesis, no, get away from me. I, I, I don't, you created two genders. I don't feel like that. I don't want to be like that. Don't be over me. You know, let us make man in our image. Uh, he says in Genesis 1, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So really, you're just lying to yourself. You may feel, not feel like the, the sex God gave you at birth, but the call for you is to embrace what 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 it is and and get right with God and he will restore your feelings to make you feel like and identify with what he created you to be and and that's so critical and it's so pushed back against today i mean i don't i don't think you and i bill could have imagined earlier in our lives that this particular issue of male and female would be something that would be so you know toppled over in this day and age in which we live but it shows you just how Genesis is so relevant to the age we live in today. Mm-hmm. What about marriage? 
that got established way back in Genesis 2, didn't it? Yeah, and about five years ago, uh, all of a sudden, humanity discovered that, oh, marriage isn't what we thought it was for about 5,000 years. Um, you know, oh, we, we became a little smarter and realized that marriage isn't meant necessarily meant to be between a man and a woman. It could be between whatever coupling arrangement you want it to be. But as the Bible said, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. Um, you know, God says right there in the first chapter of, uh, actually, the second chapter of Genesis, he establishes marriage between a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um, he establishes that key institution from the very beginning, that marriage is to be between one man and one woman. This is not negotiable. Jesus, Jesus uh, reiterates this in the New Testament. It's established right at the very beginning. Uh, the woman is taken from the man, establishes the roles for men and women. They're supposed to be headship of the man over the woman, not different value between men and women, but different roles between men and women, especially in the home and within the church. And, and these things are critical for a home and a church to function right, to have their roles and responsibilities down the way God designed it from the very beginning. David, let's, um, staying in, in Genesis a little bit, obviously, let's talk about uh, why did God instruct Adam to not eat from one tree? What was the whole point of that? Yeah. Isn't this amazing how many issues there are just, I mean, how many issues have you asked about today for marriage? I mean, there's like just, you a know, lot. The, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's inexhaustible, but yeah, I mean, that's really interesting what, what God says to, to uh, Adam in Genesis chapter two, we're, again, we're in the second chapter of the Bible and uh, God put Adam in, in the garden and said to him, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now we have no idea why God said this from a standpoint of there was nothing necessarily different about this tree, like poisonous about it or whatever, but it was a test that that's what it was. It was man, God gave us a measure of free will and he's, he's testing the worship of man. He's saying you can, it's a very open thing, by the way, he's not restrictive. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden. It's not like you can, you can only eat from one tree in the garden. No, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but from that one, you shall not eat from it. You'll, you'll, you'll die if you do. So there's a test of, of faith and obedience. And by the way, this is always God's test. Will you believe me? He says at my word that I am a good God and want your best in my glory and all that I command you to do. And this is what Satan challenged in the very next chapter, which we can talk about next time okay. on the program, that that's what Satan challenged. He challenged the word of God. Has God indeed said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? In other words, this is always why we sin, is that we all of a sudden think that we know better, we challenge what God says, and we go the wrong way, and we pay the consequence, just as Adam and Eve paid the consequence for going their own way instead of God's way in the garden. I appreciate the work you've done and the great thinking you've done on this, David. We'll continue this study uh, in two weeks. Thank you. We'll for, look forward to that, Bill. Yeah, me too. David Wheaton's been my guest. Go to thechristianworldview.org. You can go uh, learn more about David and check out his podcast and his books. We'll take a little break and be back with Mike Novotny. on Faith Radio. All right, we are back. Welcome uh, to 
my afternoon show. I'm so excited to be introducing Mike Novotny to the program. I guess I heard recently he was on Susie Larson's show, and I'm absolutely not going to hold that against him. He is the uh, lead pastor at the CORE campus. That is in Appleton, Wisconsin. He's uh, authored a couple of books. The one we're chatting about today is his newest that just came out in January, Three Words That Will Change Your Life, The Secret to Experiencing the Joy of God's Presence. Mike Novotny, welcome. Hey, thanks, Phil. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for the chance. Yeah, and I was saying earlier, I was watching your YouTube videos, and it's just, you're a, really a wonderful communicator, and I don't say that to everybody. Wow, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, man, it's uh, really humbling and pretty amazing that sometimes I'm studying the word here in my office or talking into a camera and thinking, wow, this is my job. I know. So it's uh, it's, it's kind of cool, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, when you realize that God has gifted you in this area and you, you think, well, this is what I know how to do and this is what God's gifted me to do, kind of a nice little moment, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. I know not everyone loves going to work, but I'm, I'm blessed to be able to say that I love what I do. Yeah, because here I am on the radio. I'm 100% awkward, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> You're just in a zone, my friend, so I just have to say, way to go. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Now, we're all waiting with uh, incredible apprehension and, and wondering what these three words are that will change your life. Yes. Yeah, doesn't that sound like a bit much for a title of a book? No, I love it. It gives everyone a, a sense of, okay, i got to pick that book up. What are those three words? <laughs> yeah, when my mother-in-law first saw the title <laughs> of the book, she kind of she gave me one of those looks and said, really? <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, I mean, so, let, let me uh, premise it this way. I'll tell you the three words, I promise. Um, but I'm going to ask you a question in just a second, if I can. No, I ask the questions. You don't ask oh. the questions. All right, never mind. <laughs> All right, I'll just tell you that. <laughs> no, okay. no, you go ahead. No. All right, here's how I'd love to premise it. Um, if you personally could pick any person in all of human history to walk into the room right where you are right now. To have walk into this room right now where I am? Exactly. It could be a person that you know, yep. someone you never met. It could be a loved one. They yep. could be alive. They could have passed on. Yep. Like someone that honestly, if they walked into the room, you'd almost forget you were talking to me uh-huh. because their very presence would have such an emotional impact on you. Yeah. Yeah. Who, for you, who would that person be? Well, because I'm in an earthly body having an earthly experience, if my biological father walked in the room, I, I, I would be spellbound. I mean, he died when I was eight months old. So... I, I never heard the sound of his voice, uh, nothing. So that wow. would be that would be absolutely amazing to me. Yeah, it, that's been one of the most common answers, actually. Have family members who have passed on, yeah. or who people never had the chance to meet. Um, yeah, we think about that. If uh, you know, it might be a, a loved one that we've lost. It might be a celebrity that we've wanted to meet. It might be an old friend that we haven't seen in a long time. Like all of us, kind of know that the presence of the right person is powerful. If if they were here, like, boom, my day would, I could forget about my credit card debt or my back pain or right. whatever's going on. Like, simply having them in the room with me, seeing their face would make an instant difference. Yeah. So the, the premise of my book, the three words are God, all capital letters, leave the caps lock on, even if uh, your Word document gives you the squiggly <laughs> red line underneath. Uh, right. not, a, not a regular boring lame, but uh, a God who's even better than your biological father or my best friend, or grandchildren, or a great celebrity. God, second word, is, not was back then, or will be when I die, but is in the present. And the last word is here. Um, not over there with those people who don't mess things up like I do. Mm-hmm. 
But the real promise, I think, of the Scriptures and the real gift that Jesus died and rose to give his people is that the best person in the world, the most life-changing presence in the world, actually is here right now. God is here. And my book is all about unpacking those three powerful words. It's, uh, those are three powerful words. And oftentimes our, the thickness of our skull makes it hard to embrace that. <laughs> it really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, w- when you step back and think about it, it, sh- it should be really obvious. But I think just because we can't see God like we can see other people, we can really miss that, and it's, it's killing us. Um, it robs us of all the things that God wants to give, like peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction, because we're always searching for the right thing or the right person to be present, but it's so uncertain in this world. Mm-hmm. So, so, Mike, well, give me yeah. some—let's talk about the part one in your book when you talk about God and the, the, the two unexpected ways to meet God. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Um, I, I think of— you know, for me, the practical part of the book and the practice that's really changed my life is thinking about how earthly things and the blessings that I experience in an average day can help me meet God in a really personal way. And here's what I mean. Uh, I'm a father of two. Uh, my daughters, Brooklyn and Maya, are 10 and 11 years old. So they're sweet. They actually think I'm kind of cool still, mm-hmm. although that's, that's changing very quickly. I noticed with my older daughter... <laughs> So I'll have those moments where, you know, they'll come and they'll sit in my lap and they'll hug me and and my nose is like two inches from their little nose, you know, big brown eyes. And the the way they make me feel, uh, and just the, the love and the affection and the happiness that I feel when they're in my lap. And then they go running off to, you know, text on mom's phone or do their own thing. But I, I think about that. Like, here's these little human beings and I'm an earthly father, but the love that I feel by their presence makes me so happy. And I, then I think, oh, but God, God's even better than my daughters. <laughs> and God doesn't run away to go text on his phone. God is with me always. And, and so I've kind of gotten into this habit of whether it's a good cup of coffee, uh, you know, that kind of warms you up. Uh, if it's a good joke that brings you joy. If it's friends around a table sharing good food that just makes you feel comfortable and accepted and loved. Uh, all of us can take these little good moments and lean into them and think, but God is even better than this. And it becomes this daily, almost hourly, unexpected way that we can see God's face and realize just how great he is. Mike, it sounds like you're a little bit of a drug addict, too, because when those daughters get in your lap, the oxytocin just flows through your body. (laughs) (laughs) The dopamine dopamine is firing, and you're realizing (laughs) that there is this incredible chemical response just through the love and closeness of your daughter. Yeah. Yeah, your daughters. So it's powerful. And and it's for all of us. Um, I think of Romans chapter 1 says that we can actually see God and know him uh, because his divine nature is revealed in the things that that he's made. And so for me, like all of life is this little trampoline that can get (laughs) my heart and my thoughts up to thinking about God, the one person who will always be there even when my daughters move on and um, the good meal is over. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the the feelings that we can have as believers where we enter the throne room of heaven and be in the presence of the Lord in prayer and worship and meditation. Um, that should create the same kind of response in our bodies. Yeah. Uh, so many of the, like, if you would read the Psalms, so many of the words that have come, be, like Christian jargon and lingo, actually have the same point whether it's praise God, 
or worship God, exalt God, esteem God, lift up the name of God, praise the name of God, glorify the name of the Lord. All those are, are just various ways of saying, let's think like way more of God than we do than we did yesterday. So, you know, when we gather and we rehearse and recite the great things that God has done for us and in biblical history, I, I think it's the first word of, of my book. We're trying to take this little, well, yeah, I suppose God, and turn him into, oh, man, what an incredible God that we have. So that when the worship service is done, he walks with us, and he's not small, but he's big enough to satisfy our hearts, even in the midst of complicated lives. Mm-hmm. So God is here, and there is so much incredible truth in that. And if we embrace that idea and live that as our reality, I think we're going to be much more joyful, much more confident believers. Absolutely. It's the the secret of the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's sitting in jail when he writes Philippians, and he says, rejoice always. And I've learned the secret. That's where I got the tagline in my book, the secret of experiencing the joy of God's presence. He learned the secret of being content. And if you read Philippians 4, he says, because the Lord is near. So that's really what got him through it. Uh, King David, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Another way of saying, maybe the original way of saying God is here. Um, So yeah, the the secret of some of the best saints in biblical history is that they thought so much of God, and they believed that God was with them right in that moment, not waiting at the finish line when they died. Mm -hmm. So Mike, what are some of the negative consequences that a person would experience by not believing that God is here? Yeah. Um, great, great question. And we see it all the time. Susie wrote that question for me. She did. Oh, yeah. Man, she's, uh, she's, she's the best. wonderful, isn't yeah. she? <laughs> yeah. I think the negative consequence is that you put your happiness or your peace in something that is absolutely uncertain. Um, so we're talking about religion a little bit right now. Can yeah. I talk about politics for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Is that? <laughs> I'm not sure if that's... <laughs> like multiplying negatives. If it, yeah, <laughs> if absolutely, it, absolutely it is, yes. Yeah, you know, think of people, and a lot of us right now are afraid because of political stuff, no matter how you vote, because it's so uncertain. Um, will we end up in a war? Will we not? Will, you know, the impeachment follow through to this consequence or not? What's going to happen in November? And there's so much uncertainty that we lose all of our confidence and joy, and we read the headlines, and we freak out, and we get nervous. And that's really true for everything. If your happiness is in, is in being loved at your job, um, I know you said you've done comedy. Like, if your joy after a comedy bit is how loud people clapped or how many people laughed, you're going to be an anxious man. Totally. Because you can't control that. Yeah. Um, and in fact, even if they did clap, it's not big enough to satisfy your heart because there's a God-shaped hole in there. Yeah. And then it doesn't that, matter. Yeah, Mike, then there's that guy... There are 300 people laughing, you know, falling out of their chair sideways, but one guy sitting there with his arms crossed going, <laughs> what's with this guy? Exactly. How come you're not laughing, pal? Exactly. Yeah, and, and that experience is a microcosm of all of life. Yeah. Like, it's so uncertain. We can't, we can work as hard as we can, and we can't guarantee that that thing is going to be here, and if it will make us happy and give us peace. Mm-hmm. So the only thing big enough to do that is God. So miss him at your own risk. Yeah. Seek him for your own joy. Mike, wouldn't you say a lot of people in search of God wonder a, if he's there and B, if he's good? Mm. Those yeah. are, I think those are two of the big questions I, I hear from people as you talk about a relationship with God. It's like, well, is he, can, is he available and is he good? 
Because if yeah. he was good, I might hear better stories on the news about, you know, tragedies and kids getting cancer. And why is any of that happening? Yeah, absolutely. Those are those are key obstacles and stumbling blocks for people. Um, let me speak to one angle of that. I try to tackle this in the third part of the book with the word here. Um, one of the reasons we often personally question if God is here is because of our own struggles and our own choices. Um, we've experienced in life, you know, when we do something that's unloving, um, let's say to our siblings or a, a close friend or our significant other, when we're selfish and we sin, what, you know, what sin naturally does is it separates people. If I was really rude and insulting to you on this phone call, you'd probably be very eager to hang up the phone mm-hmm. <laughs> and to put some distance between us. So what often happens to us instinctually is that when we mess things up, when we make choices that we really regret, it is really natural to assume, well, God can't be here. Why would he want to stick around and be with a person like me? Um, and the scriptures, actually, Isaiah 59, verse 2, says, your sins have separated you from God. And so uh, one of the big things I want to tackle is that the point of what Jesus did on the cross is to erase sin so completely that God would have no reason to turn his face away. That the whole good news of the Christian faith is not just that you end up forgiven or saved or redeemed or justified, but that all those things that Jesus did actually get you to the greatest gift of all. They get you to God. So um, John fourteen six, I am the way, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me, which means <laughs> that through Jesus you can actually get to the Father, and you can be sure that he's present with a person like you despite all the sins and all the struggles of the past. Mm-hmm. Mike, talk about some of the life killers and life givers. I found that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The book kind of kicks off with these. Uh, it does. We drew, we drew little pictures. Uh, I get distracted easily. So we have a lot of pictures and dumb jokes and little noodles in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I, I talk about these three life killers. Um, Jesus came that we could have life and have it to the full, this abundant life, this new life that all of us want. And three things get in the way and they're connected to the three words. Number one is if you don't think that much of God, if you get more excited about family, friends, laughter, success at work, good food, your team winning the game, whatever, um, you're in trouble. Because I could tell you, but God is here. And you'd say, well, yeah, but what I really wanted was. <laughs> so that'll get you. Right. Number two, this really common Christian belief, it exists really prominently even in my own church, is this idea that God will be here. I, I know because of Jesus I'm going to die and be with God one day. But right now... You know, I'm kind of doing this life on my own. That'll kill you. King David said, I'll feel no, fear no evil, for you are with me. And then the third killer is uh, just what I unpacked before, thinking that God isn't here. You know, he might be present with those people because they pray more than I do, and they share their faith more than I do, and they don't worry about money like I do. Uh, no, actually, the gospel guarantees that even for the worst of sinners, God is present. So we got to combat those three common life killers if we're going to have this peace and joy and contentment that we find in the scriptures. Mm, I like let me uh, take a little break. When I come back, I want to hear about life givers, too, because that's the uh, perfect antidote to life killers. Mike Novotny is my guest. Uh, his book is Three Words That Will Change Your Life, The Secret to Experiencing the Joy of God's Presence. Take a short break, and we'll be right back.
back to the show. I'm so glad I'm getting a chance to talk to Mike Novotny because he's written this cool book called Three Words That Will Change Your Life, The Secret to Experiencing the Joy of God's Presence. And for those of you who have just joined the interview, the three words are God is here. And right before we went to break, we were talking about life killers. And now I'd like to talk about life givers. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that idea. I hope one of my goals in writing the book was, like, if I could think of what God means to you in your heart as this little balloon, mm-hmm. my goal of the book is to stick a little air pump into that balloon, yeah. and with every page an example to go, just make it bigger. And just pump that up, yeah, so cool. your your thought of God becomes, oh, I can't believe God is with me. Yeah. Um, at my kitchen table, we sometimes say this um, dinner prayer. We say, come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. And let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. And, I love it. You know, after a thousand times, my, my kids are pretty good at rattling it off. I, I'm pretty sure without, like, one brain cell being used in the process. <laughs> but sometimes I, I stop after I say that, and I think, wow, come, come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Like, be, be here with us. And how incredible that is. Um, my goodness, I, if I called a celebrity and said, hey, would you join us for dinner? <laughs> I'm sure they wouldn't take my call. Their agent's agent, agent wouldn't take my call. But God, Jesus himself, is willing to be with my little family in our humble home in some little town in Wisconsin. Uh, that, that's just stunning, and it's amazing. And the more we think of God, the, the more that he's simply with us becomes our portion and our treasure and what we really need to be happy. So uh, th- that's probably the biggest goal. If I had to narrow it down, I really want to help people in practical ways to figure out how do you do that? How how do you think more of God throughout the day so that when all the uncertain things of life disappear, you have one rock that you can always stand on and rejoice and worship? Mm -hmm. Mike, what do you think about what's going on just in the world today with uh, so much secularism and churches that are not being biblical? And they may be saying that God is here, but, you know, a a Bible-believing Christian might look and go, "Mm, not so sure. Yeah. It, to me, it you know, it's interesting. Uh, churches, and the New Testament predicted this, that they would compromise to give itching ears what they'd want to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to give people, hey, you know, do what you want with, with your body, with your words, with whatever, because we think it's going to be good for our church to grow and be popular, right? But to me, a huge, a huge view of God can really change that. It, it makes the thought of sin absolutely horrific, um, I play soccer. Uh, in my soccer league, there are some guys who are, what's the nice way to say it? They're, uh, <laughs> they're not the best people I've ever met. You know, they're, they're, they're they jerks. might be demon possessed. I'm not sure. Okay. And then, and then there's this one guy, his name is Brian, he actually played professional soccer and he, he's like the nicest human being I've ever met. Yeah. Um, you know, if one of those scoundrels was talking trash and I wound up and blasted a shot at his head, I think everyone would laugh because he's, you know. He's a, a bozo. Right. If I did the same thing to Brian, who is so nice, but yeah. people would look at me and say, what What do you do? Why would you do that to him? And the same act would become horrific because I sinned against a really good person. Uh, I think the same thing spiritually. If we have a small view of God and you sin against him, well, you know, he's nobody's perfect and we're only human. But if God becomes so glorious and so loving and we said, well, you know, I really wanted to do this sexually, it, it becomes it becomes crazy. Like I would choose a relationship or a lifestyle or, you know, whatever with my money rather than just being with God. So the whole idea of the offensiveness of sin, the need for repentance, 
to me, is entirely based on how big is your God? If he's small, sin is small. But if he becomes glorious, then sin is horrific. And it leads us back to a really robust biblical view of the badness of sin and the amazingness of God's willingness to forgive us. Mm. It's just focusing on who he is and who we are. And the more you understand how incredibly glorious he is, we start to get a sense of our own uh, depravity and sin. And we just want to go like your daughter, crawl into his lap and just be with him. Mm, absolutely. That becomes amazing when he invites us to do so. It really it really does, that he will be our constant companion, our 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 friend, our 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 everything. Yes. That was the big yes. word I was looking for, Mike, everything. <laughs> That's the right word. Yeah. yeah. He is he's better than the best spouse. He's more faithful than the most faithful friend. He rejoices over us like a perfectly affirming father does over his children. All all those pictures in the Bible are meant to show us that these little wonderful moments of life are just glimpses of God and his uh, expression and affection for us. Mm -hmm. So as we pursue uh, God being with us and understanding that God is here, uh, what are, what are we missing along the way? Mm. I think how often God is reaching out to us. Um, I love in Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah gets this vision where he actually sees Jesus up on a throne and these angels are shouting back and forth to each other. And they have this line that I missed for many years. The angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. <laughs> Which struck me. Not just the churches are full of his glory, or all of heaven is filled with his glory, but the whole earth is filled with it. So when you ask what, what we miss, I would say just look around in the room where you are. What evidence of God's glory is it? color? Is it beauty? Is it warmth? Is it joy? Like, there's so many positive things we could think about, and it's right there because God wanted to fill the earth with all these little glimpses of his presence. Mm -hmm. So in the book, I actually spend a whole chapter on that. I, I try to teach people, I have a section on, like, how to do this in nature, or with family, or with friends, or with work. I try to fill that with pictures that I took of how I do this in my own life, that it's, it's right there. You don't need a different job. You don't need a different family. You don't need to move to a new place. God is revealing himself, reaching out to you that you would know how glorious he is. And man, that could become your everything. Mm -hmm. Mike, do you think we're a little distracted nowadays where we, we have a harder <laughs> time realizing that God is here because instead of watching the most glorious sunset in the world, we're sitting there looking at our iPad. I'm sorry, I was checking my phone. Can you say that again? Yeah, exactly. That was yeah. my whole point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because you're so distracted. Uh, it it really is. Yeah, there's, you just picture that. You're walking past the Grand Canyon, and you're looking at some cheesy video on YouTube. <laughs> uh, right. I, I wonder what God thinks as, he, uh, <laughs> as he's looking yeah. like, hey, I'm right here. I'm glorious. Yeah. I'm good. But, you know, that's the devil's the father of lies. And if he can make us look at something small that won't satisfy then he wins. So I'm not against technology. I use it, but I'm, I'm kind of scared of it just because it makes my brain so shallow. I can't focus and meditate and really chew and think of how God is all around me and revealing himself to me. Yeah, ever since technology became m more prevalent in my life, I feel like instead of uh, scuba diving, I'm now just a person on a jet ski. Wow. You know, instead of like going for hours with a book, I will you know, read a blog or jump around on the internet and, you know, mm -hmm. read articles, but not do that deep dive into a book. Yeah. But I will yeah, that, with your book, just so you know. 
Well, <laughs> yeah, that's maybe scary, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just got your, your PayPal gift, too, so thank you for that. <laughs> well, congratulations, uh, Mike. This book uh, is going to be um, very helpful for many, many believers. Just know that God is here. Three words that will change your life. The secret to experiencing the joy of God's presence. Mike Nabotny has been my guest. Mike, this has been interesting, and you're a great communicator, and I know you've got uh, a lot more in your head that's going to come out. Mm, thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate your time and uh, the chance to speak to your friends. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for listening and being with us today. Um, just I love you, and I, I love that you support and listen to Faith Radio. As you lay your head on the pillow tonight, just know that God's working out his great plan in your life. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.